The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, a poppychuloradio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, March 16th, 2023, and I'm your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-host, Dimitri Jasinger. What's good, Central City? And Jeffrey Luck Roo. be a podcast tonight. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 9, Episode 6, which was titled The Good, The Bad, and The Lucky, and aired March 15th, 2023. We're almost halfway through the first final season. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. As Barry and Iris prepare for their new life, luck changes for those in Central City. Cecile takes on a case with Allegra's help involving a string of unfortunate and highly unexpected events. Meanwhile, Chester and Mark work with Keon to figure out her new abilities. Becky Sharp, at the beginning of the episode, walks into Jitters, and we get a voiceover about how lucky she is with a little montage about how she falls in love, gets engaged, and then her luck suddenly changes. It seems to run out, and no matter what she does, bad things start happening to, including finding her boyfriend is in a coma, and she is accused of the crime that she obviously didn't commit. I mean, obviously, but then again, who knows? Uh, she needs a lawyer, and it doesn't seem like a long time since anyone has mentioned Cecile's day job, so hey, let's bring her in. I was happy to see Becky Sharp making a return. I really liked the character when she was introduced years ago, and I loved that brief scene with Kramer where she basically said, you need a lawyer. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about the reintroduction of Becky Sharp and uh, and the way they, they presented her to us at the beginning of the episode? She was wonderful. I enjoyed her as well the last time that we saw her, which I believe was way back during the Thinker storyline, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, a very long time ago, at least three or four seasons. A long time. It's been a while. I will say this. The only thing that just made me kind of uh when she was giving her voiceover narration was the fact that she was cognizant about Crisis, um, that's the only thing that I was like, cause I don't think anybody knows about the crisis outside of like the heroes on the show. So that was the yeah, only thing. Point. Yeah. That was the only thing that kind of like took me out of the moment because I mean, they clearly had a scene later on in the episode where they talk about crisis and how she's different. So they didn't need that in her sort of cutesy narration. Uh, the cutesy narration outside of that was very cutesy and it worked for me. I loved the montage I loved seeing this remixed version of her, you know, because when we met her the last time, 
Like, she was lucky, but everyone was unlucky, and so this time around, she's just redonkulously lucky. Um, yeah, so so all of that was, like, really nice, really cute. As you said, Professor Kramer's reaction to it, because, like, she was, like, this ball of, uh, just like the song that was playing uh, Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows. And then all of a sudden, Kramer was, like, very sardonic, like, yeah, you're going to need a lawyer. It was, yeah, it was a great way to start the show and to remind us of who she is. And yeah, and and Kramer didn't have a lot doing this episode, but I thought she was very well used. And also, you know, as I think I mentioned, uh, you know, back the first time we met uh, Becky Sharp, uh, the actress playing her is a Canadian actress who was, you know, a a a, a oh, PJ, yes. a program jockey on YTV. And uh, while I've never met her, I was good friends with another PJ. Shout out to PJ Paula. And uh, so, you know, I really like the fact that they're, they're bringing her back. Uh, you know, uh, I, one of the things I said going into what we know is going to be the last season of Flash. You know, I wanted to sort of, you know, revisit that, you know, uh, get a sense of, of some of the highlights of uh, the past seasons. And so I did like bringing her back, even if this was a sort of standalone filler episode. Anyway, in her office, Cecile's on the phone with Joe trying to coordinate living in two different cities. And she promises she won't miss her train, which means she's obviously going to miss that train. It's a classic Chekhov's train situation. At Star Labs, Barry and Iris are driving to Coast City for a conference, and they leave things in the hands of Team Flash. Allegra's having issues with her landlord and her hot water, so classic Chekhov's landlord situation. Mark and Chester go to work to figure out what Keon's powers are. I mentioned the obvious Chekhov's items, and while I noticed Cecile with the, the pillow and the blanket, I didn't realize that was a classic Chekhov's pillow and blanket situation. Dimitri, did you spot the significance of that? Did you figure there was something more significant? The fact that uh, that Cecile was obviously, you know, uh, you know, moving the stuff around in her office while she was talking to Joe. And do you know who Chekhov is? I, I do know who Chekhov is. Um, I I didn't like. I just thought it was like, uh, oh, you know, I'm haphazardly moving like random things around like sort of comedic like you ever see cartoons where like they're digging through the sofa and like pull out like a remote and some change and then like a bicycle and like you know whatever like um like it gets more and more ridiculous (laughs) anybody seen this just me i didn't see a bicycle but no uh, i think that was just an example I thought that's what like they were going for here. Like, oh, she's just oh, I get it, pulling yeah. pulling all sorts of random stuff out. So I didn't realize because I mean, may, maybe this you know just strikes a, a tough chord with me as a as a millennial who who cannot afford a house, but like she has a house. Like it just didn't register me. Why would you be sleeping in your office? Um, so yeah, no, it totally caught me by left field when, uh, when later on Allegra's like, have you been sleeping in your office? I totally did not catch it. Um, Chekhov would be ashamed of me. But having said that, it was nice that they sort of, you know, threw those little elements in, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, structurally, uh, the episode, you know, did, you know, plant some of the breadcrumbs in place. Some of them were obvious. And, and as we'll talk about a little later, some of them were a little more subtle and a little more clever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like when you're, you know, reading a, you know, a, a detective mystery from the 1920s, you know, you expect them to give you all the clues that you need. And I think they actually did a pretty good job uh, of doing that in this episode, that uh, that all the big surprises, uh, you know, were telegraphed, some clumsily, some otherwise. But um, anyway, Cecile agrees to take uh, Becky's case, but wants to start on Monday. 
Um, and, you know, which obviously leads Becky to go, wait, seriously, what the fuck? I'm I'm here in jail and you're just going to leave me until Monday, uh, which, you know, brings up a point that uh, Jeff was talking about uh, before, which is how can Cecile balance, you know, having the family out living in the country if she's going to be not only a full time superhero, but also a full time lawyer for metahumans in the city. Uh, but then, you know, things take a shift when Kramer comes in with the weapon that was used to attack uh, Becky's fiance, and it turns out it's Becky's broken heel. So things are just getting worse for her. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about the the dynamic between Becky and Cecile? As I mentioned, I thought it was a little callous on Cecile's part to basically say, "Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be back in in the city on uh, Monday. You can just you know stay in in jail on the weekend, and we'll deal with that when I get back." Yeah, yeah, it was a little un. I didn't I didn't think oh. that was what she was saying. You didn't think that's what she was saying. She had a train to catch. Well, well, I thought she was saying, like, they're not going to hold you because there's not enough evidence against you to justify holding you. And that's why when um, Kramer comes in with the murder weapon or the attempted murder weapon, she's like, oh, well, now you're kind of screwed because now there's enough evidence to hold you. I didn't think it was like Cecile's, like, uh, a couple nights in a holding cell never hurt anybody. Like, I thought she was saying, you're not going to be held right now because all the evidence is circumstantial. So I can go home. Well, she said that she wouldn't be put in jail, that she would be probably there, you know, in the holding cell in, in the police department. But then, yes, they found the additional stuff, so she was going to go to jail. But then they, like, let her out for, on good behavior, which I, that confused me. But um, I'm not like a like I'm not that well astute in like her criminal justice system here in the United States. So I don't I don't know. Like I don't know how she was able to walk the streets if they found the murder weapon. But anyway, the professor maybe you can answer that for us. Um maybe you know. I would argue that is one of the big plot holes in this episode. <laughs> okay. It seemed like she was going to be held <laughs> yes. and, and Cecile actually said, "No, you'll just be held here for the weekend." And then they find the murder the the you know, not murder weapon, but the attack weapon, which is her shoe, which would yes. mean She's much less likely to be released, and yet the next scene, as we'll talk about, she's yeah. just out on the streets. They were like, you know, you look like an woman. innocent white woman. Your white privilege will – you are bathed in white privilege. You can go. This is pure headcanon, but I would suggest that because Kramer was convinced that she was innocent, just like Joe would be convinced that people were innocent, maybe that was you know behind the scenes. Maybe there was a deleted scene or, or anything like that, that it was Kramer basically saying, look, I'm sure she didn't do it. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, cut her some slack. But, you know, there was nothing in the episode that suggested that. Yeah, I agree with you. There was another major plot hole that I will bring up later on. But outside of uh, what we were just discussing, because you asked me about the dynamic, Cecile, like throughout this entire episode, it, well, throughout the majority of the episode, the first half of the episode, she wasn't really acting like her usual self. Uh, and I know that she was like really obsessed with trying to make things work, which, you know, was a big question, as you uh, referred to a professor that I had in regards to this whole weird ass storyline about two thirds of my family is moving out into the country. I'm staying in the city and we have to somehow make it work. So this was the episode in which they decided to express how they were going to make it work was a little clumsy, a little fumbly in the way that they kind of handled it. Sure, but I will say this. It was great that they gave D.A., well, former D.A. Cecile Horton, 
now MetaHuman attorney at law, Cecile Horton, something to do outside of just giving the Papa Joe pep talks. And also, you know, the fact that they address, you know, the the question that you mentioned, you know, last week, which was, you know, the idea of, you know, this 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 shouldn't be as simple as they seem to present it being, you know, last episode. And it was nice that we sort of dealt the consequences of that decision in this episode. That it's not going to be as easy as uh, as Joe and Cecile seem to think it would be, and you know uh, it was nice that they they addressed that you know slightly clumsily yeah. but still they did. I think they that. thought it was going to be as simple as Christine Sinclair, um, you know, kicking a ball into the goal. As a striker, that is exactly the sort of thing Christine Sinclair. I would knew do. that. Cecile Allegra and Becky go to her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no one's going to care about any of this. <laughs> know, Cecile right? Allegra and Becky go to Becky's apartment to investigate. Allegra uses her powers and finds a poker chip, which I thought was a really cool use of Allegra's powers, and I don't recall ever seeing that on the show before. Uh, the poker chip apparently belongs to her future brother-in-law, Tony, uh, who's obviously bad news. Come on. Uh, when Tony sees the poker chip, he gets super nervous and claims Becky's fiance Dom, had a gambling problem and was in a lot of debt. And somehow he'd hidden that from uh, uh, from Becky, but you know that's what we were being told. He gives him a lead on where the chip came from, and while they are investigating, some goons come in to kidnap Becky. Cecile's powers are largely useless, uh, but Becky ends up helping to save herself by creating a distraction, smashing a bottle against the guy's face, and doesn't get shot as, as a result, uh, which is somewhat surprising. Uh, and that lets Allegra blast them. Becky has no idea who the bad guys are. We're getting a lot of misdirects here. Dimitri. The Mr. X, it seems like Becky is being targeted because of her fiancé. It seems like Becky's bad luck is affecting Cecile's power. It seems like Becky's fiancé is the one in trouble. All of these seems, it turns out we'll find out later, uh, are not true. But you know, in the context of the show, in terms of watching it, this is the way it's being presented. How did you think the Mr. X were working? Were you taken in by them? Were you, uh, you know, engaged in the story? Honestly, I... Um... I wish they would have introduced Cecile's um, malfunctioning powers a little earlier because the misdirect just seems so feeble. She's like, oh, you just got really nervous. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, my brother had a gambling problem. He made me promise not to tell you. And I'm just like, so you have empathetic powers and you just buying this shit? Like, I, I wish, I wish, at the very least, make Cecile's powers already be untrustworthy because it just looks so clownish that she chases down this theory and then she's like, oh, wait, it was the brother, like, at the end of the episode. That's a good point, but the way Tony, or the actor playing Tony, chose to play his... Uh... Uh, his uncertainty at that moment. I don't think it needed to be an empath to figure out that, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, having problems with that uh, that moment. Um, at Star Labs, Chester and Mark start testing Kion for her meta powers. Something about Kion's kiss fixed Mark, as we saw, uh, and, and otherwise, as he said, he shouldn't have survived his injuries. But Kion doesn't think she has any powers. They start testing her for cryogenic powers, but nothing happens in what may be an Arrowverse first. A montage in which nothing happens, repeatedly. Uh, Mark is really upset about it. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about how they tried to coax at her powers? Um, you know, I, it, it's it's weird to think that you know someone has powers. You know that you can just sort of you know put them in that situation and they will 
manifest their powers in a way that you can measure and test. Uh, but also, um, you know, what did you think about the dynamic between Keon and valued member of the Team Flash family, Mark, who, let's not forget, was a bad guy just a couple of weeks ago. It did seem like he was a completely different character in this episode. Yeah, I guess that Barry Allen pep talk from last week worked because he had a whole, like, I'm a team player um, attitude adjustment this time around. Uh, Okay, Keown trying to get her Elsa on was adorable. Like, I I enjoyed it. You know, it's like the pose, and you got to think real hard, and you got to feel it in your hands. And, like, it was just, to me, it was it was just, it was cute. Like, we haven't seen Danielle Panabaker as an actor on this show get the chance to do stuff like that. Like, she either already has the powers, and she's a meta-human trafficker, as Dimitri would say, or she's the science-y one that knows all the science-y stuff. And so, like, to be a kind of blank slate and to play around with the possibilities, it was kind of neat to see her as an actor play a character like that. There was an interesting moment between Mark and uh, Keown, where, like, he, he like, takes a pause, and, like, he clears his throat. He, like, looks at her in a sort of kind of way. I don't know if it has to deal with what we will be discussing about what happens to them later on, or I don't know if there's, as Beauty and the Beast would say, might as well throw in another Disney reference, there may be something there that wasn't there before. That I cannot tell you, but it was like a little brief moment that I noticed. My whole thing is I understand that she is the sort of like visual, physical embodiment of someone that you knew before. But like for me, the first thing that you should test is her like biology, like do blood work, do this, that, or the other. Um, I know that comes up later on, but in my mind, like before, like trying to figure out what the powers are, like I would have tried to figure out like who she is, like what's her, you know, chromosomes and the DNA and all that kind of stuff. Cecile ends up missing her train, shock, gasp, yeah. and she gets upset about it. And you know what? Good work by Danielle Nicolette here. Uh, it seems like the character of, uh, of Cecile is overreacting to the simple process of missing a train. But given what we find out later in the episode, uh, you know, we we realize why she's having this reaction. Uh, Becky overhears that and she decides that all this bad luck is just her getting what she deserves. So she walks away, but she's kidnapped again by the bad guys. Uh, Allegra and Cecile attempt to save her, but both of their attempts fail spectacularly, presumably because there's a device that one of the bad guys has. Uh, Jeff, I asked Dimitri about this earlier because we get another misdirect here, uh, at least in Cecile's case, because there is this device which seems to be reversing their powers, and we see that you know neither of their powers are working properly. Did you think the writers were playing fair with us, given what we found out later in the episode? No, it was a whole lot of misdirect throughout this entire episode, and now it was very confusing, because in the beginning it's like, okay, is it this? And then it's like, okay, well, is it that? And then I was like, okay, so her bad luck spreads? Um, it, yeah, it was very confusing. They They sort of, like, hit that well so much, like, there was no more water. Like, it, it was like mud that they were, like, pulling up 
because it was just it was like way too much. I don't know if I, I, I entirely agree. I mean, it, it's a bit of a tricky business because on the one hand, you know, you don't want to give everything away, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Chekhov's train and all of that. Um, but I did think that the idea of introducing this device, which clearly reverses, uh, you know, Allegra's powers. Uh, and then, uh, you know, well, no, I didn't uh, mind that powers. device. It was just, no, the... no, I, I mean that, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you see that working on Allegra and then you assume, well, that must be what happened to Cecile's. I always felt like because it happened to Cecile earlier, like I was still of the mindset uh, that it was her. Exactly. Yeah. That it was, uh, that it was, um, a Becky for whatever reason. Like I understood so Cecile and Allegra. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So Cecile and Allegra talk after Allegra discovers that Cecile has been sleeping in her office. Chester finds out the weird device reverses meta powers with a blank black crystal. And Cecile and Allegra realize Becky's engagement ring must have been one of those crystals as well. It turns out future brother-in-law Tony is the one who was in debt. So he plans to use Becky to get rich. He has her being forced to deal blackjack. Her bad luck makes him a winner. Uh, Dimitri, the episode was mainly about Cecile and Allegra's mission. How did you like their dynamic? They're not two characters that have been thrown together a lot in the past, but with uh, you know uh, Barry and Iris out of the way, we get to link a couple of characters that haven't had a lot of time together in the past. So what did you think about their dynamic and the way they stepped up in the absence of the West Allens to you know, basically solve the, uh, the case and save the day? I mean, I've been accused in the past of jumping too far ahead, so I will refrain from uh, referencing later uh events in the episode but i i didn't hate <laughs> their chemistry I, nine I thought, years in and dimitri is finally accepting some responsibility i feel so so happy and proud yes God like christine it. sinclair so winning said, the world cup at the end of the episode um <laughs> uh, yeah i i didn't hate it i i thought you know these are the two characters who haven't necessarily shared a ton of screen time. And sometimes when you put those two characters together, it can be awkward. But if you do it right, it's adorable. I didn't necessarily feel this was adorable, but I felt like it worked. Like, you know, these two seemed like two people who work together and are at least somewhat comp- uh, not confident, uh, comfortable around each other. Um, whether they were comfortable enough to explain later events of the episode. I'm sure will be discussed later on in the podcast and oh. I have no wish to jump the gun. Dimitri is of course referring to the Chekhov's landlord situation, which we will be discussing later, but no, I agree with you. I, I think that they played off each other really well. And, uh, and, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of a shame that, you know, we haven't really had those two, you know, actors working together. Uh, you know, uh, in the past, uh, you know, and, and I think they, they did play off each other really well. And, uh, and, and I totally accepted, you know, the, the relationship they had between them. I thought it was, it was well-developed and, uh, and they played off each other very well. Uh, anyway, back to the episode, Tony admits to Becky that he's the one who hurt Dom when Dom tried to stop him from using Becky. Uh, Allegra and Cecile try to infiltrate the casino night, but they're caught almost immediately. Chester turns off the power and they spring into action. Cecile uses her telekinesis to take Becky's ring uh, away and Becky's luck returns, leading to a you know a very nice sequence of what happens when you're trying to fight someone who has luck on their side. Tony's taken out and the day is saved. Jeff, how would you like the resolution to our A plot? Okay. You know, it was it wasn't Okay. 
I did not dislike it. I was just left with many questions. So I get it. It was the brother-in-law who ended up attacking his brother because he had gone to ask his brother to use his fiance for her good luck so that he could pay off he could make a lot of money to pay off his gambling debts that was the truth and honestly mm-hmm. who among us has not been in that situation exactly the thing that i did not understand is so the brother went with the husband the soon to be husband to purchase the ring why did they purchase a ring that would flip her powers? That's number one. Number two, she was still wearing the ring when she was dealing the blackjack to him. So why was he lucky and why why wouldn't she, like, because she's touching the cards and that kind of stuff. So I would think that would make those cards unlucky. And then she took off the ring, or I should say Cecile um, telepathed the ring, and then all of a sudden she was really lucky. I I was just, I was so confused by what the hell this storyline was, because it's like, why would, I didn't, I didn't get it. I, I didn't. Even though Becky was wonderful, Cecile and Allegra were badass, like it was a good little moment. I believe they're called bad bitches, which I approved of. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't get what the hell we were watching at the end. Like, shouldn't, like, what? Like, shouldn't he have not gotten lucky because she was unlucky? And like, No, why? no, because mm-hmm. Becky was the dealer representing the house. So her bad luck was his good luck. Oh, her bad luck because she's the house and the house exactly. always wins. Okay, and that's okay. why he couldn't just have her sitting beside him with her good luck making him win. He had to have her as the dealer representing the house so that her bad luck would be affecting the beneficial house. for him. Okay. So I get really that. no different than having someone, you know, basically, you know, stacking the deck uh, or cheating on your behalf, except she was just doing it with her uh, reverse luck power. Okay. All right. Thank you for explaining that. I a hundred percent understand that. I do not understand why did the brother select the ring, the engagement ring that would make her luck turn upside down. Was that just I'm assuming when they bought the ring, he didn't know that, that when he, he chose the ring, he wasn't saying, hey, do you have anything in like a, a nice shiny black gem that will turn my uh, my metahuman uh, girlfriend's powers against her? I would suspect that was the idea that, you know, when the uh, the brother and again, I'm doing a lot of headcanon here, but I'm guessing when the brother in law took his brother out to choose the ring, which they did mention that he did. Um, the brother-in-law probably had a lot of say in what ring he chose and probably arranged for, you know, a, a you know, a, a, a nice looking ring with a very large stone on it to be available for a, uh, you know, a significantly discounted price. Okay, wait, so are we saying that this was a long con? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Now, okay. having said that, mm-hmm. the idea of it being a long con doesn't necessarily play into the fact that he, you know, took her shoe and bashed his brother on the head with it. <laughs> well, but. no, 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 because I, I can explain that. Okay, so it's a long con. He cons his brother into getting that specific ring because that ring is going to help him out. Then, because it's his brother, and maybe they might have a really good close relationship, he actually confesses to his brother. I'm like, hey, you know, 
maybe he doesn't say about the ring in particular, but he's like, hey, you know, your wife, I was wondering if she could help me out with the with her powers and this, that, or the other. And then the brother's like, no, you're not going to mooch off my wife. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pimp her out to my brother so that you can make a whole bunch of money because of your debts. And then the brother freaks out. He grabs the closest thing, which, you know, I'm, I'm assuming is a stiletto. And then bashes his brain in, and then makes it seem like it was... Well, I don't know why he would make it seem like it was the the wife. But anyway, because that sort of like... You know, because it was a heat of passion crime. So he wasn't thinking about that. But then it worked out in his favor, because for whatever reason, they gave him... They gave her, like, a, a, a well-good-behavior prisoner release thing to the metahuman attorney for the weekend. Yeah, the more we talk about this episode, the more plot holes seem to appear. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm going to you know uh, address uh, one of Dimitri's uh, uh, you know uh, ones that he mentioned earlier next because while talking to Chester and Allegra, Cecile admits her powers were off because she was just not herself because of the family stuff, and she asks Allegra to move in and be her roommate. And again, a classic Chekhov's roommate situation. But you know what? Honestly, I like this situation because when they introduced the the bad landlord earlier on, I was convinced, oh, this is how they're going to force Chester and Allegra to be living together. That didn't happen, and I was really happy about that because these two have been dating for like you know a week maybe of uh, of Showtime, and that would have been way too insanely fast. Um, yeah, everyone, I, I everyone also seems happy, that, Professor. Yeah, it, it seems so obvious to me. And again, because when you introduce a Chekhov's landlord, you're expecting that will be the logical resolution. Instead, we got the idea that Cecile, who, you know, as we've established, is living all alone in this house. Why not allow Allegra to move in? I know you have some issues with this, Dimitri, but everyone else seems happy. Um, you know, Allegra seems happy. Cecile seems happy. Chester seems happy. Although, honestly, if I were Chester visiting my girlfriend living in the same house, as an extraordinarily powerful empath who could sense everything that I was oh. feeling, I don't think I'd be comfortable visiting my girlfriend in that location. Uh, Dimitri, what do you think about the the resolution to this uh, this uh, Chekhov's landlord situation? Given the uh, rapid pace with which these two have gotten together, I'm guessing he won't visit her for at least three years. Um, just. Allegra and Chester time moves a little slowly. Uh, but, yeah, no, it does seem kind of uncomfortable. I honestly would hate being roommates with a co-worker. I know Team Flash is not necessarily, like, you know, uh, a workplace in the traditional sense, but just because we work well together and we're work friends doesn't necessarily mean we're 24-7 friends. Like, that seems like a lot. I I don't know, maybe it's just me, but for all you know, Allegra's a slob. For all you know, Cecile is a slob. I mean, for all you know, Allegra has a bad track record of using her roommate's toothbrush. I mean, just Ew. too fast. Too, too, I, I don't know. It just, everyone was acting like, oh, yeah, that's the natural thing to do. And I was just like, what? Um... I mean, I guess headcanon is, while we haven't seen these two characters interact that much, they, you know, are very close and, uh, and you know, comfortable with each other. But, you know, as an audience member, I just wasn't sold on, on that being their relationship. 
Hopefully not comfortable yeah, I, enough to use the toothbrush. I mean, you know, Cecile never even asked, do you, uh, you know, put the, uh, you know, the toilet paper roll so it rolls from the top, like a civilized human being, or from the bottom, like an absolute monster. And um, she also are, did not ask, are you a Christine Sinclair fan or a Marta fan? Exactly. These are questions you have to ask before you let someone into your do house. Do you use now, forks again, with pies? Cannon, one can only assume they had these discussions, you know, previously in the past. But, uh, yeah, it is a... Uh, a rather glaring plot hole. I hope they ask the fork and the spoon thing, Professor. Oh, God. Can you imagine if you invited someone into your home? It, just imagine. You, you invite someone into your home. You know, they have, a, they have a room there. You come down. They're sitting in the kitchen. They're eating a pie with a spoon. I mean, just get the fuck you out of You have to house. burn the house Who down. The hell what are if you? it's Alamadi? Oh. No, you still eat it with a fork. What, you have to burn the house down, Dimitri. You? you burn the house down and never look back. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. I don't know. If anyway, a week later, Mark seems to be handling things much better, and the team has set up a baby shower for Barry and Iris, just to remind everyone who are the stars of this show. Uh, back at Star Labs, Chester has a new analysis of Keon that shows she's not a metahuman. She's not actually even a human. And again, classic Chekhov's new power that will pay off in the season finale situation. I've not liked Keon much in this ep- much in this <laughs> season, but in this episode, I liked her. Um, I thought she was enjoyable, uh, as as Jeff mentioned. I really enjoyed the the sequence where she was trying to figure out how to use her powers. I still wonder, as someone who's only been alive for less than two weeks, how she knows shit about flowers that grow in canyons and stuff like that. But still, I did like her. Uh, but Jeff, we've talked a lot about Keon, what her role will be. Getting this revelation that she's not only not, you know, she's not Caitlin. She's not Frost. She's not even human. Uh, what do you think uh, will be the uh, the shocking uh, resolution to her non-human status? Are we saying she's something else? That she's I, someone else? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I, I think that is true. Um, okay. We've been saying this, or at least I started off saying this way back in the first episode, that she has some sort of nature, mother nature um, type of ability. Here's the thing, and we did have a name drop about them a couple of episodes ago. What if she's an avatar? Because we've seen people, not the blue cat people from the movie, that apparently everybody has seen, yet I've never met a single one of them. I'm talking about the sequel that's in the movies right now that's apparently still making a whole bunch of money. But anyway, we have met avatars in the past, and they did not know they were avatars. They did not know where their powers came from. They didn't know anything. And I would assume if you're an avatar, you're not human. And I don't believe I can recall them actually testing avatars to see what they are. You know, they just, you know, because of the Speed Force having an avatar and this, that, or the other, when they found the other avatars, they were like, okay, you're an avatar. So what if she is avatar-ish? You know, I still think she's like a mother nature, nature type of powered person, but what if she's an avatar for nature? And that's why she is able to manipulate nature and its surroundings and that sort of thing. Remember, we, we mentioned that it was always raining in the very first episode of the season. And it was like, you know, the constant mentioning, oh my gosh, all this rain. Then all of a sudden, Keon was happy. 
sunshine in the air. This time around, you know, they were talking about Frost, and she was able to kind of mimic Frost's powers when she kissed Mark. I love Chester's, ooh, reaction. That was so good. Um, And so then all of a sudden, it's snowing. So she's either... Well, she's not a meta-human, because she's not a human, nor a meta, she's a something else. So what if she's an avatar for nature? She can manipulate anything with nature, and that would also um, kind of confirm the fact that she has this immense knowledge of plants and animals and, and stuff that I don't believe Caitlin ever knew, or clearly Frost never knew this shit. So... That would add to the fact that she, maybe she's an avatar for nature. She has just like now this innate knowledge of how the world, but in particular like plant life, animal life, how it all sort of like coexists and and um, how how they're how they survive and thrive on this planet. Dimitri, what are your thoughts on uh, Keon's status? Um... Uh, you know, do you buy into the, the nature goddess theme or the nature avatar, sort of a, a Swamp Thing type character with, <laughs> you know, considerably less prosthetics? I, I am assuming her, um, her powers somehow relate to nature. I do think we're in, an, in a Chekhov's nature trivia kind of moment where uh, I do I think... In one of the next couple of episodes, someone's going to be like, hey, Keon, how do you know all this shit? And then they're going to realize, oh, my God, what if Keon's powers relate to nature? Um, and then we'll spend uh, three episodes finding out that that's true. I, I have a prediction that that's where this is going. This might be an un- unpopular opinion, but I am kind of like, who who cares i mean oh she uh, like not that i don't care what her powers are but he's like you're you not even about human her. i mean we have we've had kara on this show we've had like martian manhunter on this uh, in the in the arrowverse uh like you know we're we're very familiar with non-humans who you know are fine you know i mean you put caitlin you know caitlin kind of has had multiple alter egos every time, you know. Caitlin's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get back. But um, I don't know. I don't. I think You're Not Even Human was supposed to be a huge revelation the way they delivered it in the episode. And I was just like, okay. I, I, I sort of, you know, I agree with uh, with Jeff. And, and I wonder whether, you know, the resolution of this is, you know, that, you know, if she is some sort of avatar or something like that. Whether you know she's going to have to sacrifice herself at the end of the season uh, to save things, um, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's curious. I I don't see this being the sort of situation where you know she and Mark ride off happily into the sunset. But clearly, um, he's feeling her, right, Professor? You saw the looks. Well, yeah, definitely. I, and I mean, that's kind of an understandable thing from Mark's point of view. She, you know, aside from the hair and the you know the pallid skin color, looks exactly <laughs> like the woman that he loved. And also, when she restored him, she gave him a kiss that felt like kissing Frost. I think that's that's an understandable reaction on his part. Um, so, you know, for him to 
you know, and, you know, we didn't really talk that much about it aside from talking about the montage, but for him to insist that she must have, you know, cryogenic powers is a way of him, you know, basically, you know, arguing, well, she must have these powers. She must be like Frost. I think, you know, he's basically still trying to, you know, restore his, his dead ex. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure he's, I think by the end of the episode, you know, it it does seem that he's given up on that, but uh, it, it does seem that, you know, the directions given to the uh, the actor playing Mark uh, are that, you know, he's not as intense about it as he was before. Um, but, yeah, I, I just don't see them, you know, riding off happily into the sunset. I could be wrong about that, but uh, it just seems to me that uh, they're setting her up as, you know, sort of, you know, an, an extra dimensional entity whose sacrifice will save the world. But, you know, it's not like we're sacrificing a human being, um, you know, as as uh, as as human centric as that might seem. I, I love the thought of those director's notes. Like, okay, this scene, you're trying to bang your dead ex. But in this scene, you're no longer trying to bang your dead ex. And action. Yeah. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Who among us hasn't been there? That is true. Uh, Dimitri, may I ask you, are you enjoying the uh, blue highlights slash clip-ins a little bit more? As the epi- as the episodes uh, progress, you know what? Come to think of it, no, they look exactly the same. <laughs> okay. um, I, I mean, I, speaking of the misdirects in this episode, good misdirect by Dimitri there. Pew pew pew. Um, I I will say though, I do find Keon a breath of fresh air. Oh. I wish the writers would have come up with some way to wrap up Caitlin's storyline because. At this point, she's lost her dad. She's lost countless lovers. She's, she's lost, lost her life. Sister. <laughs> um, she's lost her life. Yeah, she's she, dead. She, she's dead. You know, and I, nobody cares. I'm pretty sure, like Barry and Iris are going to get a happy ending at the end of this show. Given that Caitlin's like a season one character, episode one character, you know, it's a little bit of a shame that she, I guess, you know. It's just kind of dead. Yeah, she's but, dead. Not even know, Carla cares. Carla's still busy at work. <laughs> wait, what? Her mom, Carla. She's busy at Tannhauser. She didn't even take a break. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she'll find out she's dead someday. But um, at, given that, you know, they seem to not really know what to do with Caitlyn, um, and I never took the frost, I do find Keon like... This weird kind of loopy, like almost Luna Lovegood esque character um, that you know is, at, if nothing else, is new, um, and so has a lot of unexplored territory for the writers. Um, so while I do not like the I have blue frosted tips, so now I am a new person uh, costume choice. I I don't mind Keon. Before we move on to the MVP section, was there anything anyone wanted to mention? An Easter egg, a Hall of Shame, or a Hall of Fame moment? I'd just like to echo something that uh, that Jeff mentioned, which is uh, when Chester found out about the, the kiss between uh, Mark and uh, Keon. Uh, the way he had that that really just a delightful little actor's moment of, well, hello. Uh, I thought that was a an absolutely delightful moment. And I also really liked, uh, you know, one of the two thugs 
you know, uh, who was uh, menacing uh, Becky. Uh, I thought he was really having a lot of fun with the uh, the character as well. Yes, I will co-sign that. Well, you're co-signing me, but I will just say, just to add on to that, um, I don't mind as much as Dimitri uh, Allegra moving in with Cecile just because, like, she needs somebody in the house. Like, she was, like, living out of, of her office because she didn't like the quiet of her house. Although, let's be real, that office was probably going to be really quiet as well. So, there's that. So, I didn't mind that. But here's the thing. Just to add on what y'all were saying about Chester, Chester and Allegra can never have sex in the house. Like, ever. Like, if they're planning on, I don't know if they're already, you know, getting it in, but if they ever plan on getting it in, it cannot be there at all, because Cecile will know it all, and, you know, like, no, you can't do it in that house, period. Well, presumably Chester has his own place. That's the only headcanon that I can accept. Yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I mean, they're not going to do this, because this is a happy-go-lucky show. But I'm like, you don't give a baby shower that early. Like, that's just... No, God, no. That's, like, that's uh, yeah, calling for, like, bad luck to happen. Like, that's way too early. Like, they should have done... It should have been called, like, um, I don't know what, like, a baby announcement type of thing. But the fact that they specifically said, oh, we're throwing you an early baby shower. Like, I was like, no, you don't do that that early. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, you know, they had to find a way to bring Iris and Barry back into uh, into the team at the end of the episode. It's time for the MVP section. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character's been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Jeff, who is your MVP and why? Luck be a lady tonight. Uh, Becky Sharp, 100%. Even though that storyline was very confusing, was very messy, um, it had so many plot holes you could call that storyline Swiss cheese. Like, it was just... Yeah. But Becky Sharp... Our, our favorite Canadian PJ was fantastic. She was bright and bubbly, a breath of fresh air. Even when she was down on her luck, she was adorable and brought an incredible energy to what could have been an incredibly forgettable A-plot because of all of the plot holes. She just brightened it up, so I have to give it to her. Yeah, I agree. And it would have been very easy, you know, to play a character, someone who's been lucky, you know, for so long and is suddenly dealing with, you know, a run of bad luck. She could have played it, you know, very much, you know, woe is me and and negative, but she didn't do that. And I thought that was, you know, a, a very positive take on on the character. Dimitri, who is your MVP and why? I got to give this one to Allegra. Um, I did think, you know, for such a Allegra centered episode. I do think this was played well. Um, I think, you know, her and Chuck are cute together. Um, I think, you know, her her and and Danny Nicolette kind of doing the the like not quite buddy cup but kinda buddy cop scene uh worked pretty pretty decently well. I wasn't sold on the roommate situation, but I guess we'll see how it goes. And also, when she shows up to the bar casino, something about that outfit, man, she looked F-I-N-E fine. I was like, yo, Chuck, my man. Anyway, all that to say, Allegra for this episode. 
You know, I, I agree. Uh, Allegra has never been my favorite character since she was introduced, but I really did like her in this episode, and she would have been my choice uh, if she hadn't already, goddammit, been taken. Um, which leaves me, uh, you know, I will choose, you know, Danny Nicolette, who, you know, I've always enjoyed, you know, in, in all the versions of uh, Assistant DA Cecile Horton to DA Cecile Horton to, you know, uh, Independent Lawyer Cecile Horton. Um, I think she did a good job of playing that, you know, playing the the conflicts that she's dealing with. And something that we talked about earlier is, you know, as Jeff said, you know, last episode, it did seem like they were wrapping things up too easily. That it's just like, oh, I'll stay here in the city and be a superhero and you'll go off in the country and, and raise our child. And, you know, I think it was nice that they brought out the conflicts that she's dealing with, a feeling that she's not going to be there for her daughter. Um, that, you know, the, the concerns that her daughter, you know, uh, will see her as, you know, a distant relative rather than a mother. And and I think uh, that uh, the Danny Nicolette did a great job of playing that. So kudos to her. Uh, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate the episode on a scale of one to ten lightning bolts? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a ten, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Dimitri, what is your rating? I'm going to give this episode a nine. The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, this really recaptures some of the quirky charm of, you know, Flash Season 1, Flash Season 2. And I shade the the writing a lot, but I do want to acknowledge that, you know, that sort of, like, fun silliness, but not being so silly that it's stupid, is a hard balance to strike. It's not easy. It's not straightforward. But I think the writers struck it this episode. And even though it kind of feels like a filler episode, it was a fun filler episode. I think a lot of it is is driven by Becky and, you know, the exaggerated vocal fry and, you know, her her kind of, you know, space cadet persona. But overall, I found this episode quite fun. For an episode that doesn't even feature the main couple, Nine out of ten. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. A, a lot of what you said in terms of the tone of the episode uh, is something that we haven't seen in The Flash a lot, you know, over the past few seasons. And and honestly, when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, mm, man, you know what? I really miss Legends Tomorrow because the tone of this episode reminded me to a certain extent of uh, of a Legends of Tomorrow episode where Absolutely. they managed to deal with the serious stuff, but they managed to to do it with with humor and, and a lot of lightness as well. Uh, Jeffrey, what is your uh, rating for the episode? We almost went through an entire episode without an F-bomb being dropped, and then Dimitri dropped it twice. But I, I will co-sign. It, it, it kind of, it, it's, it's, it's like teetering close to an F-bomb episode. And by F-bomb listeners, I, of course, mean the dreaded word filler. But it was fun, and it, w- it was really well done. Um, yes, plot hole palooza. And I'll be honest, because of the plot holes, I was, like, verging, like, in the eight sort of territory. But I don't know why, but Dimitri sold it for me. I'm going to give it a nine as well. Uh, Because it was a fun episode, everyone really did get something to do outside of our main couple, which, you know, they got whisked away to Coast City for massages on the beach. Um, So outside of them, like, everyone else got something to do. It was all really interesting and entertaining. And even though it was teetering close, for at least for me, to the F word, it was still incredibly fascinating to watch. And dare I say, even though there there was so many plot holes, I would say it's a very rewatchable episode. So it was a lot of fun. I'll give it a solid nine as well. 
Well, it's uh, established uh, canon on this episode that I am subject to peer pressure, so I will also give it a nine. Yeah, you're right. It was it was just a, a very fun episode, you know, and we're calling it an F word episode. The F word should be fun, you know, uh, yes. regardless of the fact that this didn't advance the overall plot in any way. It was fun. We got some character development. We got to see what's happening with our characters, and they had a lot of fun while doing it. And uh, and as Dimitri said, that's something that has been you know missing. Uh, a lot in Flash. This did get us back to that sort of, you know, that that sense of joy that we had, uh, you know, in the first couple of seasons of Flash before they decided to, uh, you know, uh, try to be, uh, you know, in the Arrow Mark II. So join us next time for a brand new installment of the Central City Citizen. Here's our announcement to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Just search for the Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish listeners a good night, starting with Jeff. Have a good night, listeners. I hope you have FU and fun this weekend. Maybe catching up with You Can't Do That on Television or watching uh, Christine Sinclair take down Marta. Stay tuned for the uh, Women's World Cup this summer, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, obviously. Uh, and Dimitri. Good night, Central City. See you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Central City Citizen via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Friday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night. Jeff, what is the title of the episode? <laughs> you didn't cut and paste? I, I tried. It didn't work. Okay, hold on. It didn't uh, save. No, it is. It's something the good, the bad, problem. and the lucky. It's not that, but it's close good, enough. Good, bad, and lucky. Okay. Let's no, oh, 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 that is right, actually. The good, the bad, and the lucky. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to pick that up from the synopsis. Ready? Okay. And let's go. All the, be- all the best stuff comes from Canada, just like Christine Sinclair. A joke yes. that will mean nothing to anyone who wasn't listening to our pre-show chat. Yeah, and Peppa Pig. She's not Canadian. She's not Canadian. No, she's not. Take us obviously. I worry that someday there's going to be a podcast about this podcast where each episode they're like, what the fuck were they talking about? (laughs) Yes. But that aside. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Central City Assistant by Apple Podcasts. I can't do it again. God damn it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Central City Assistant by Apple Podcasts. (laughs) <laughs> three two one new episodes release every friday <laughs> i couldn't get through that you just assassinated dimitri professor <laughs>
Well, it's true. We Do were you talking work about this before for the Batwoman got here. writers room? Because no, all of this was all of so this was just hard, us professor. referring back to what we talked about before the episode began when we were waiting for you. But anyway, that shade was so hard. Dimitri got pushed down the <laughs> stairs like in a damn telenovela. Picking up in three, two, one. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Central City Citizen via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Friday. You can also download the entire series by visiting... <laughs> can't do it. <sighs> God damn it. I'm a radio professional. Three, two, one.